0: This morning, as I came in, I was listening to worship music and I heard, you know, it's home sweet home in the house of the Lord. And I thought, yeah, that's true. And as I look around and have missed being here in person, um, in the last two years, I think, oh, it does. It feels like home sweet home. So it's nice to be here um this morning if you'll indulge me I just want to share a little insight from my prior life as we get started I hope it'll be helpful to you in our study I was a high school teacher and counselor and in that role I had the privilege to help students as they applied uh, to colleges right their parents came and of course They wanted to seek admission for their child to the most elite schools, right? Because they wanted the best preparation for their children's future, right? We understand that. This idea has even hit the headlines recently, hasn't it? Um, There are questions usually centered on how to create the perfect resume, You know, they wanted it to be full of all kinds of accomplishments. What should they be to impress the admissions counselor? I would gently remind them that admissions to a college like that is wonderful, but it's most important to prepare for the opportunities and the rigors that they'll face there, right? Admissions is glorious. You're chosen. That letter arrives. I am chosen. But it ends there if you are not given the abilities, the discipline, and the perseverance to succeed in such a place as that. Well, we've seen God choose David to be his king over his people. God's choice was not based on this shepherd's boy's accomplishments, but on who David would become, a a man after God's own heart. His anointing was certainly a beginning, but not the end. God's preparation for this important role would is one that you and I would not be inclined to choose for ourselves or for our children. He does not choose to enroll David in an elite military academy, where David might learn about global conflicts, strategic warfare. He didn't choose a Harvard or a Wharton education for David, where he could learn about leadership, organizational dynamics, economics, management. Although these skills are really important for a future king, God is instead intent on developing David's heart. So he enrolls David in the school of brokenness. We have seen our God use hardship and pain in some of the lives of his chosen leaders. Moses was forced to flee the palace where he grew up and spend 40 years in Midian as a shepherd before he led God's people out of Egypt. Joseph was sold as a servant and imprisoned in a foreign land before he was named as a ruler and positioned to deliver God's people from famine. And now David has spent 10 years in exile, 10 years apart from his home, his family, his temple, while being hunted by a king who is truly quite mad. I'm looking at you and I get it. I sense, oh, I don't want to think about where this is going, Cheryl. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Um, We acknowledge acknowledge that suffering is a part of our lives, but the thought that we need it is hard to accept. In Acts 14.22, we read, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And in 1 Peter 4.12, we read, Beloved, do not be amazed or bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test your quality, as though something strange were happening just to you. We have heard the phrase, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And to that, I would add, suffering. Each and every one of us has known suffering. But none of us have suffered exactly as you have. Your world may have been or is being broken by someone else's choices or by your own. You may have been given a seemingly random diagnosis or set of circumstances that cause you hardship. All of these are certainly hard places. Adversity often gives birth to questions, hard questions. I don't have easy answers today, but I'm (coughs) thankful that we have the context of David's suffering, and in that we find hope. As I said, David's been enrolled for about 10 years in the wilderness of suffering. David is in, again forced to hide. He is in the hill of Hakalah. 600 men and their families have joined him. The Ziphites inform Saul of David's whereabouts. And Saul pursues with his army of 3,000 men. Wait, this seems a contradiction. Um, I remember Saul's tears and his proclamations and assertions of David's righteousness. Outside the cave in chapter 24, Saul has experienced the grace of God through David's mercy. But he returns evil for good. This is not encouraging. David learns of Saul's pursuit. He has spared Saul's life. But there is no apparent change in Saul. Or, for that matter, in David's circumstances. This is not the outcome we all hoped for. I personally am a fan of the pay-it-forward model, or I do good and I get good, right? That's what my parents taught me. So this result is not one that's easy to accept. Perhaps it's not easy for David either. David decides he will go into the camp. Abishai, when asked, volunteers to go with him. He will go with David, just the two of them, into a hostile camp of 3,000 men. Um, Why are they going? (laughs) I ask myself, what do they hope to accomplish on this mission? What is their plan? I have some concerns. (laughs) But we are not told. Perhaps David's weariness, a desire to finally put an end to his exile, or a need to get some answers to his questions. We aren't given these answers. The two arrive at Saul's bedside. He is asleep, and his spear and his water jar are at his head. His bodyguard, Abner, fast asleep beside him. In fact, 3,000 men are asleep. God has caused a deep sleep to come over them. God has gone ahead of David. He is there. He is caring for David in the midst of his enemy. God's provision for David. Is certain Abishai sees opportunity in this provision he loves David and he wants to help. God has given your enemy into your hand this day now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and it I will not speak. <laughs> I will not strike him twice. That makes perfect sense, right? I am like Abishai. I have learned to trust in my own abilities. And I have often rushed to rescue, to fix, to make right in my own eyes. I aspire to be a savior for those in need. As a parent, I want to protect the lives of my children and grandchildren from any and all suffering. Yes, I am afraid Abishai's response makes perfect sense to me. But not to David. David does not allow the circumstances of his mission. His felt needs his desires, or reasoning to determine his response. He leans not on his own understanding. He replies, do not destroy him. For who can put out a hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Guiltless. In this response. We see the fullness of God's work from the hardships. David's response to his unrelenting oppressor and the adversity born out of Saul's hatred is victorious. Unlike the previously celebrated victory over Goliath, this is a quiet win. Over himself, it will be celebrated in heaven forever. David has denied his selfish revenge he has denied his own comfort in the release from suffering. he has denied the impatience of hurrying god's timeline he has denied the praise of men and the approval of Abishai. He has put to death his own agendas that God's grace may be poured out in all of its glory. David, through repetitive work of the spirit, has had his heart transformed to want What God wants, that is God's hidden curriculum for our lives. It is the beginning of obedience. John Piper encourages us saying this, obedience to God makes God glorifying hope visible and proves it is real. In our lives. David's actions enthrone God. He demonstrates an understanding of God's sovereignty. Ruling over his circumstances. Ruling over Saul. And ruling over himself. So he responds humbly. He does not assume God's authority he responds with grace toward a man who has tormented him lied about him damaged his reputation and sought to kill him in David's obedience God's grace is poured out on David in abundance and he is able to show it to, Paul, to Saul in like measure. When confronted with one who has repeatedly caused you pain, receiving this kind of grace from God is a glorious superpower. I ask myself, how is this even possible? As we have seen David do Over and over again, he reminds himself of who God is. He asserts to Abishai that as sure as the Lord is alive, he will act. God will be just. God is trustworthy. He even employs his imagination, born out of his past experiences such as with Nabal, and his knowledge of God, God's sovereignty, God's power, God's righteousness. David rehearses for himself the character of the God he trusts. It is with this confidence. He walks away. He walks away. He chooses to be guiltless, Before the Lord and he walks away with the spear and water jar and returns to his exile. Wow. I want to be like David in this moment. I want to honor God in every situation, no matter what the outcome is for me. The victory over myself is complete. <clears throat> Romans 8.3, in the Amplified Version, if you know me, that's <laughs> you're going to have to bear a few extra words. God sent his very own son in the guise of sinful flesh as an offering for my sin. And in this, he condemned sin, depriving it of its power over me. And all of us who accept his sacrifice, depriving it of power, his victory is mine. The Holy Spirit's power within me continues as a never-ending source, empowering and encouraging me in this truth. This is my joyous hope. But... I must confess that it has taken pain and disappointment and hardships to make these things real to me. It is there that they have become mine. I have been schooled in the depths of my Savior's love for me. My precious learnings about myself as his beloved daughter, have indeed been taught in the context of brokenness. Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, provides an insight that I found helpful as we consider the role of suffering in the deepening of our spiritual lives. So if you'll indulge me, I'll read a little bit to you. He says, each of us is like an otherwise healthy vine that has a perverse inclination to entangle all its tendrils around a poisonous tree that appears nourishing, but actually deadens us. We have been warned this tree will kill us, but we can't help ourselves. We wrap ourselves around it. There is only one resort for the loving gardener. He must slice us free lopping off whole branches even. He must cause us to pass through the place of loss, the pain of being diminished, of being lessened in order to free us. The world and all its fraudulent offerings are like that poisonous tree. And our heavenly gardener loves us too much to let us to continue to commit soul suicide by getting more and more deeply attached to this world. Through the pain of disappointment and frustration, God weans us from the love of the world. It feels like we're being crippled sometimes, like we're dying. In point of fact, we are being freed from the counterfeit pleasures of the world. Jesus reminds us in John 15 that he loves us as his father loves him. It is out of this love and wisdom of the skillful vine dresser that he prunes us, freeing us from the inclinations that bind us. He Makes his intention in this clear. That my joy and delight may be in you. That Jesus' joy and delight may be in you and me. And that your joy and gladness may be of full measure, complete and overflowing that our joy may be of full measure, complete and overflowing. So he prunes in love that we might be his joy and he ours. Paul, as a fellow sufferer, brings us hope from 2 Corinthians 4, this momentary affliction, you say, stop there, Cheryl. It doesn't feel momentary, right? But the context, we'll, we'll read on. This momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, right? As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, or the things that are seen, are fleeting and transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal and deathless. David's suffering is not easily explained or understood. David maintains a humble respect for God's chosen earthly authority. No matter how unbroken it is, he calls out addressing Saul as Lord and King. And he puts forth his questions. Why does my Lord pursue me? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? David's weariness is evident. He does not get answers to his questions from Saul. His outward circumstances have not been changed. His oppressor lives. And David once again retreats. This is not the reward for David's obedience and outpouring of grace that we hope for. But it is God's chosen outcome for David. This is the preparation God chose for his king. God does not see as we see, but looks on the heart. David's heart is being transformed to seek God's pleasure. David responds to Saul. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of my Lord. In this moment, we see David is concerned only with the Lord's approval. He does not concern himself with what Saul thinks what others around him think, or even his own judgment of his actions. He is living for an audience of one, Yahweh. His trust is in God to deliver him. This is a lot to take in, and I hesitate to go further I personally am always surprised by suffering and I seek to avoid pain whenever possible. But at this moment, I must ask myself and you, my precious sisters, are we willing to trust God with the pain, the discomforts, the injustices, And the cruelties of this world that affect our lives. Will we choose to walk away from our own agendas as David did? Confident that God is sovereign over the people in our lives. The circumstances in our lives and the earthly rulers that challenge us. Lastly, will you believe God's word with me, that all things good and bad work together are are fitting into his plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, even if the good is not revealed until we see him face to face Our God knows us and he loves us enough to invite us to share in his suffering that we might be known by him and that we might have union with him. Pain that is held in his sovereign and loving hand brings transformation to our hearts. We are transformed to his likeness as we draw near to him. We are by his spirit's work able to release the things that hold that, to which we hold fast to embrace him and his fullness and th- that our joy may be complete suffering in his hand. Is not an end; it is the beginning. As we pray this morning, I recently read a devotional, and by Michael McNichols of Biola, and I want to share that prayer with you. So, would you pray with me? God, our Father, you have searched us and known us. No matter where we go, no matter what we experience, you are there. In our pain, Lord, grant us your rest that we might trust in you, even letting go of our need to find answers that may not be found. Fill us with the hope that you are with us and there is no anguish, no assault, no suffering that can isolate us from your love. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.